When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Better Make It Quick. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much uh, for being here. This is a quick version of the podcast, uh, Better Than Yesterday, which is a podcast that's here to help you make today better than yesterday. Something you hear on this show and every show will hopefully help make your day today better than yesterday. Uh, we've been here since 2013 and there's so many conversations that we've, we've had over the years that, you know, we thought it was a good idea to give you a little taste of some of the ones from before. So Brie, my researcher and producer here, she has gone back through the archives and she's found a couple that are worth another lap or, or a lap if you haven't heard the show yet. Today, we're going to be talking with Todd Sampson, a conversation from, I believe, 2019. 2018. It was great. It was great to have him on the show. Before we get to that, I just quickly want to say that it is with a a heavy heart that I am going to say this. Um, You are, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you would know that I have been experiencing some ongoing complications with my hip replacement since it happened in 2020. And uh, yesterday, my hip, my new hip, and I guess more importantly, my new team of doctors, um, they told me that to have the the, quick, the quickest possible pathway to being pain-free means that I need to stop all non-essential activity for the next couple of weeks. And the long story short, that basically means I've got to postpone upcoming live shows in Melbourne and Brisbane. And uh, I am incredibly disappointed about this because myself and Rachel and Lauren, we've been all working very, very, very hard to make these happen. Um, and I'm super bummed. I'm so bummed about it. However... I know that if I keep pushing in the face of uh, something that's not really getting better very well and I keep setting myself back by going too hard, I know in the past, I actually have quite positive health outcomes when I just shut up and do what my doctors tell me to do. So sadly, I'm, I'm going to do that, but it does mean that I get to be, I guess, um, in a better space than I, than I have been the last few weeks. I did want to thank everybody that's got on those tickets so quickly. Thank you so much for the support. Seeing the ticket sales is just a beautiful thing and um, makes us really, really grateful for the support we're getting there. It means the absolute world. And I can't, I promise I'll, I'll let you know as soon as we're back on, as soon as we can reschedule. So, so much 
time, effort, love has gone into producing these live shows and, and getting them up, lining up the secret guests and really we've been trying to really create what will be a memorable live experience, all right? You'll be grateful you left the house, right? We're really trying to make sure that's happening. And I know that the wait will be worth it. So I'll keep you posted when those shows get rescheduled and um, I guess I'll be spending time doing strange isometric exercises that my new physio is getting me to do and um, meditations on my mind-body connection, um, which have been surprisingly helpful if you listen to last week's show. So, yeah, uh, I can't remember if I've ever had to cancel a show before. So it's, 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 it's a bummer. Anyway, um, let me tell you quickly about uh, Todd Sampson, who we're listening to Todd Sampson today. He's a very impressive man. He was born in Canada. He started out in advertising. He became the CEO of a major ad agency in Australia and led to an award-winning career as a documentary maker and a television presenter. But first and foremost, Todd Sampson is an adventurer. He has a curiosity about the world that is endless. And we met, I think it was 2018. We sat around my kitchen table for a cup of coffee, right? Uh, coffee's the last thing that I still have, okay? <laughs> I don't drink, I don't do drugs, I don't eat meat. It's a daily ritual. Uh, coffee's a way of life. But it turns out that Todd had actually gone most of his life without ever trying coffee, going on adventures, doing all kinds of wild stuff in wild places around the planet without ever having tried coffee. I had to know how. I didn't do a lot of drugs when I was young, but it was a drug I avoided at university. So my parents didn't drink it, so I'd, I had not touched it for 40, not even a sip, for 42 years. And then one day, unfortunately, I was filming Redesign My Brain and I was in America in the, in the world's best scanner, brain scanner. Second best scanner in the world is in Melbourne, by the way. And I was being scanned and they were doing a take and the crew wanted to have a coffee break. So they said, Let's, can we have a break before he does this? Because they're not allowed to be around me and stuff when, I, when the machine's on. So I just said out loud, I don't need a coffee break because I don't drink coffee. I'd rather just push through. Of course, the scientist then jumps from behind the counter, three of them, and says, do you mean that literally or figuratively? And I said, literally, I've never tasted it. And they were like, oh, please, could you do us a favor? Please, could you take a coffee and then we put you in the scanner? And so being a, a self-experimenter, I said, sure. So then the question was, which coffee? Now, Toby Ralph, who is my shooter, he's this massive six foot two Australian guy, 110 kilo. He says 100, but 110 kilo <laughs> Australian guy, big guy. Yeah. And he always drinks these little double macchiatos. Yeah. So I say, I'll have a double macchiato. And I remember the crew laughing and the scientists going, I don't think you should start there. <laughs> so they gave me a double macchiato. I don't quite know what to do with it. So when I, I step outside the room where the machine is, and then I just skull it, like I shoot it down. Yeah. And everyone's looking at me and then the scientist says, okay, are you ready to go in? I get in, you know, you get in these scanners. If you've unfortunately been in these scanners, it's like Tron. They lock you down, yeah. your head's locked into place and they give you an emergency reject button in your left yeah. hand in case something bad happens. It's a small tube. Small tube. And I get in and it's like, I go inside the scanner and I've got the rejection in my, my left hand and they start doing this sort of spatial IQ test on me. I would have been 10 minutes and I press the ejection button. And I come out, five scientists come from around the glass. They're all staring at me. And all I could say was, is everyone on this shit? <laughs> and I've been addicted ever since. <laughs> yes, everyone is on this shit. And it's, it's an extraordinary drug. And 
you know, if you, re- I, I think there's something in a, a, a conv- like a, like a backtrack around caffeine around the world because, uh, you know, the, the where caffeine grows in the world, that those areas are under enormous threat from climate change, and so we are fa- we're looking at a future perhaps without coffee. Yeah. Um, so you could you could start there and maybe go back to a time when, you know tea wars were fought mm. if people were millions of people killed by the british empire trying to find tea right but then what that caffeine did for the industrial revolution yes. it allowed workers to go all day remember i told you about a cavoodle that was about to come in oh there we are <laughs> hey fella wow you are really excited are you on caffeine the dog no that's just a cavoodle the dog walker just uh, returned no, because wow. Frank, he's, he's learning how to be around other dogs, so he goes for a walk with a pack every week um, with other dogs, bigger dogs, so he get he learns how to kind yeah, of cool. be around them. Yeah, he's a good guy. But, um, you know, but the thing with caffeine, right, it is, as you were saying about the cast, that allows your arm to be in a position that yeah. will allow it to heal. In many ways, caffeine is the artificial brain cast because it doesn't let you, it locks you into this energetic good space, but it doesn't let you retract to where you really are. It sort of blocks. I mean, its whole thing is it, it doesn't make you so much give you energy as it does block your feeling of tiredness, but you are actually tired. Mm. So it is, it is a weird deceptive drug that's so common that we just go, whatever, let's just take it. I take it every single day. Uh, empty stomach in the mornings? Empty stomach in the morning. Yeah. yeah. And a, a tiny little cup and... I, I, I'm honestly a, a lot of the Australian series of The Bachelor, if not all, my entire radio career has been brought to you by caffeine. And um, pretty much every time there's a rose ceremony on The Bachelor, yeah. I, it's, it's you know sometimes at one, two in the morning, maybe later. And uh, that's that's coffee. That's coffee. It's an, it allows, yeah. But the trick is, because um, often Bachelor Mansions, uh, we've shot, shot in a few of them, but often they're quite far away. The trick is to back time the intake of the coffee so that by the time you get home, you're, you can make the drive home, but then you can get to sleep. Yeah. So I often do 20 minutes of- in and six hours out, isn't it? See, it's all about that balance, guys. All about that balance. One thing that really struck me about Todd immediately is his optimism. His, his positive outlook is not blind, it's not willful, it's born from years of learning and exploring through the documentaries that he makes. The subject of mental health came up when we were speaking, and it turns out that our brains, and I'm grateful, <laughs> particularly what we were talking about earlier, I'm grateful to be reminded that our, our brains are much more resilient than we realised. Modern science has given us a tangible hope Mm. in the notion of brain plasticity. And I I mean, I spent six years doing a science documentary about the brain called Redesign My Brain. And the fundamental premise of that is we all have the ability to positively correct our brain at any age, regardless of who you are. And regardless of how much or how unique a difference your brain may be. I met this guy during the series. It never made the cut. And uh, he had one third of his brain removed. So he was having horrible... Uh, seizures. He would he'd be lying on the ground and he would say demon, he would be screaming at the demons that were coming to him while he was lying there having a full seizure. So they they obviously went through a, a large amount of misdiagnosis as is what normally happens. And they got to the point where they believed in America that he had to have parts of his brain removed, a little bit of his hippocampus. And so they removed a third of his brain. But if I sat him down here now, you wouldn't know other than He's slightly different. 
But if I judge people by slightly different, that's the majority of people I know. So, because the brain has this remarkable, he's got a third missing and it just can rewire and put itself together in a way to allow you to cope because we are arguably the ultimate survival machine. We really, really are. And uh, particularly around the rewiring part, I've been in the last few weeks, a few months, I've been learning so much and like trying to educate myself so much about the the the, the brain's reaction for the anxiety, the difference mm. between amygdala-based anxiety and cortex-based anxiety mm. and understanding how my bodily reactions. Now, the amygdala-based anxiety could be if I, t- I see a, a picture of one of my triggers or it passes like yeah. a particular trigger word comes in conversation, I might not be consciously aware of it, but then suddenly I'm out walking the dog and I feel like someone's grabbing me around the throat yeah. and I have to think back. So what was that? What was that? Oh, I was scrolling through Instagram or something and that's what it was all right and then rather than just once you identify it and then you have the ability to then because then the 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 cortex has is very unable to undo amygdala based anxiety and 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 vice versa like it's it's really fascinating stuff and when you talk about neuroplasticity um it's something that i really i i was begging for when i was in psychosis when i was, I was mm. like just fucking i'll do anything mm. anything to have acceptance of of this this thing that i can't get out of my mind but it wasn't until that i was on this we had to change around a lot of medication until we got it right and that's unfortunately the, the case a lot of the time and it's not like you just take a neurofin in 20 minutes you feel better you kind of have to wait yes. sometimes weeks sometimes months for things to be okay enough to judge if the dosage is right so it's very very tough because you've got to kind of grit your teeth and get through it but once me and my doctor adam the psychiatrist once we um figured out the dosage and i was on this particular dosage things were able the analogy I would use is if you've ever busted a, a, a knee snowboarding or whatever, you, they give you a big brace and you're inside the brace, you get to then work the muscles in a correct plane of motion until yes. they get strong enough to take the brace off. Mm. So that's what was happening. My brain was able to work in a correct plane of motion and then slowly, 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 slowly came down off the meds. And now I have what I didn't have when I was in that unhealthy state. My brain wasn't able to do what you were talking about the the neural connections were so powerful i couldn't actually Mm. rewire them but on these other meds i had the ability to then teach well my brain healed to the point where it could start to do that again and i really feel that now that i'm able to move over a course of weeks from one place to another whereas before i just i was stuck Mm. Um, and I think that's important to recognize that some people's brains aren't able to do that. Yes. So it's, it's interesting you say that, though, because I think a guest that you should try and get, you won't get him live because he is in America and he's, I don't know, he's, he's I people travel. all the time. Yeah, Dr. Michael Mersnick, so the founder of Brain Plasticity. Wow. He was in my film, right? So he was in, he was in both episodes, both series. And he spent 50 years of his life working on the brain. And he would claim, he's got nothing against drugs because drugs are very useful. They're, they're useful for different people for different reasons. Mm. So there's no knocking that. But he has, he's had a, um, his patent in for non-drug treatment of depression. Wow. At the FDA in America for 15 years. <laughs> and of course, their response is, no fucking way. <laughs> and he would claim, he would argue that there's been plenty of studies in the world, and you, you know those studies, that can complement drugs, can take away the drugs, can that can help people rewire and overcome some of these um, things that become acute in others, but are daily 
uh, things for other people, anxiety, depression, paranoia, mm-hmm. things that, that you may not have at an acute level, but you may carry daily and you can manage those. I'm always teaching my girls. I've got two young girls, Coco and Jet, uh, 12 and 8, about awareness and breath. And the reason I'm doing that is I'm not, I'm just trying to get them to reflect back how they're feeling so they have an awareness of that. As you said, because when you are walking down the street and something triggers you, chances are that trigger may work at a subconscious level or you have no conscious awareness of that trigger. But if you get used to your body and how it feels, the feeling of that trigger or that jab, emotional jab that happens, just simply the awareness of it is a big step towards mental health, especially for children, because they're at schools where they're constantly being, you know, indirectly or directly bullied or pressured, especially young girls. Uh, And so it's awareness in itself, body awareness, how you feel, how it feels in you, is a good skill for young kids. Yeah, I wish I knew that stuff when I was young. I wish I knew the stuff that I know now as a kid, but everybody knows that. Rod Stewart and the Faces knew that. Old reference, ooh la la's and so Anyway, Todd Sampson was the CEO of a really successful company for a decade. And right after this little ad break we're going to have here, we're going to hear what he believes is the last remaining competitive advantage that we as human beings can have in the workplace. And it's actually pretty good. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Todd Sampson believes that creativity is a huge and underrated advantage and is a quality that we can all foster within ourselves. But how can we actually work our creativity muscle? First, it's reframing what creativity is. For a lot of people, creativity is art, and that's confused. That's not true. It's a subset of creativity. So you might not be able to draw or or paint but that doesn't make you any less or any more of a creative person. There's a false dichotomy created by creative people to make them feel good. There are creative people and then there are others. No, 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 no. If you were born with a head, you're a creative person. It's just whether you practice that, whether you lay down that pathway in your brain through repetition and use over time, you get good at it. But everybody has that ability. And I think that's the first thing is reframing it. Uh, Then the second thing is as a parent, Uh, taking responsibility for developing it in your children and not relying on the schools to do it because, you know, the schools, not all, are trapped in a 130-year-old system. So practicing. And you can practice all the time, little things. Um, Music is excellent creative for the brain, you know, learning to play piano or learning guitar or learning, like anything that's going to stimulate your, your brain that much will help with your lateral thinking. And then just when, for my girls, is always asking them, how and why that works, and is there another way of doing it? 
and Becoming why kids, even though it's annoying when they're really young, is a really good skill when you're older. You know, if you're constantly trying to figure out why, you know, they've now done plenty of studies which have linked curiosity to success in life. Two things that they've now found, two major mental skills that they've now found statistically correlates almost directly with success in life in children. And the first one is emotional regulation which we've discussed a the bit. Breathing, the, yeah, the breathing, checking in. Understanding, regulating when you're up and down, not avoiding, not avoidance, not that detachment and avoidance. That's not that. It's feeling it. And as men, I struggle. That's one of the biggest things I struggle with. Uh, so emotional regulation and curiosity. Two things that have a direct correlation to success in life. Both are learnable skills. Both are not, you cannot say, well, genetically, I don't. It's just not true. It is simply not true. That level of determinism is not accurate. They're both learnable skills. It's fascinating because when you talk about the current school system, an amount of curiosity is acceptable and anything above that is like sh fucking Ginsburg, shut up. Yeah. All right, we've got to get this done. The bell goes in 20 minutes. All right, it's on the test. That's why. All right, that's the answer to your question. And that's it. It shuts down yep. and it's over. Because difference is difference. Difference is not something special mm. you know it's like adhd so there's there's a whole spectrum right of of if you if you if you think of the brain the spectrum is massive and everyone is on the spectrum not, <laughs> not the adhd spectrum the spectrum of life you know yeah. with, with your brain and you come in and out but they have there's been studies that have shown that when especially low levels of adhd when it's seen and reframed as a uniqueness it completely changes their outlook on life and how they develop and how they grow. When it's seen as a, a glitch or a disorder that you have, I mean, if we are judging disorders, I have yet to have met a person in my entire life in all my travels who wouldn't fit on that spectrum. It degrees of everything. But so it's, it's how things are framed in, in their minds, especially when you're really young and you think you're different and you know, like you were at school and, and you're thinking, well, then I'm wrong and they're right. Well, that, that's not true. It's a spectrum for sure. Like there's, I've always in my life been attracted to difference. People that have, and I think the brain is naturally attracted to difference, but people that have something unique about them. And I, I find myself drawn to them for some reason. When you uh, first started getting into television and stuff like that, obviously with the, with the career you've had, there was obviously pathways from directly from that career as, as a CEO where you could apply those, I'm oh, just doing what I do normally, but on telly. Yes. When and, and why did you start that? You know what? I really, I want to start talking at a larger level about this other stuff that I'm into. Why was it so important for you mm. to do things uh, like that? So first I had no ambition or desire to be on television. That's it's the not, best way to start yeah, it, man, like I didn't, because then it's I, authentic. I didn't grow <laughs> up wanting to be on television or have any inner desire or I thought to myself when I was young, I always wanted to be on television. What I always wanted to be was an adventurer since I was a kid. Before I even knew advertising was a concept, I was adventuring, you know. So I, I always wanted to be an adventurer, like an explorer. I, I looked up to those people. Like Ed Hillary was a hero for me and, and I looked to Christopher Columbus and I, I just thought, imagine, I would love that more than anything else. But I, I grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of money. So I had a massive, and still do in many ways, I had a massive insecurity around being financially destitute. 
Financial independence was my number one driver for many, many, many years. So I, even though my brother went off to be a, a very well-known entomologist, scientist, I only believed that I could make money watching um, Alex P. Keaton on, you know, on, on television, I, uh, Michael J. Fox. I only believed I could make money in corporate world, in the advertising world. I thought it was the easiest because it was creative. And there's some incredible creative minds because it's one of the few industries in the world where creativity gets paid. <laughs> Most times, creativity either gets sidelined, marginalized, or it's a nice to have. In the advertising world, for all its darkness and things that it creates in society, it's filled with creative people trying to express themselves in some way, shape, or form. Some of that good, a lot of that not good. So that's what I did. And then I, 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 started, I studied and then I ended up doing uh, an MBA and then I got into advertising because, as I said, it was the halfway house for me, creative and corporate. And then I, I was reaching towards the end of that in my own mind and I got a message on my desk while I was running this company saying, Andrew Denton would like to meet with you. And I knew of Andrew Denton because he's a legend. I did, you know, I was like, okay, sure. So John Casimir and Andrew Denton come to meet with me. And they basically say, we have this idea for a show and the, it's basically this. And they explained it to me. And I said, no way. I can't do a show that is on some levels taking the piss out of advertising while I'm running a 300-person advertising agency. <laughs> I can't do that, you know, or whatever it was at the time. And he then said that they went away and they said, okay, well, you were recommended to us. Would you mind helping us with a workshop? Now, now John and Andrew tell this story in a slightly different way, but this is what happened to me. This is my story. I then show up on a Saturday, I think it was a Saturday at the ABC, and they're going to start the workshop. And I'm thinking, I'm pretty good at workshops. I do it for a living. So I'm happy to come in and help them with their show. So they said, come in now. The workshop's about to begin. I walk in. There's Will Anderson sitting in the middle. There's three other people I don't know at a panel with four cameras looking at me. And they said, sit down. The workshop's going to begin. And they just did groom. <laughs> and I'm looking around going, what, is this the workshop? And they're like, yeah, this is a work. This is a TV workshop. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is not the kind of workshop that I'm used to. So anyway, they filmed it. And then I got a phone call a little bit, a bit after saying, Todd, uh, we'd like you to come back. Yeah. To do, I remember to do what Andrew or John, because John Casper was my main contact at that stage. And John said, but I spoke to Andrew at that, uh, for that conversation. And he said, we need you to come back and do the sweat test. And I was like, what? Sweat test. And he, they said, <laughs> Do you know how some people go under the lights and the pressure and they just sweat profusely? Well, we can't really have that on the show. I think he was taking the piss. But anyway, I showed up and, uh, and that was it. And then it started. Yeah. And then when, when the show became a success and it became kind of like a cult success, it had such loyal, loyal, loyal fans. I was getting asked a lot to do other things. And I had decided in my mind that I wanted to do something about my genuine interest not about marketing and advertising. I was already on the best marketing and advertising show arguably in the world. So I just said no to anything to do with marketing or persuasion. And then I started to write ideas and concepts around adventures, around not, not science shows. They were adventure shows that had a backbone of understanding using science. And so that was it. And then I, I decided to segue. And then as I segued over to that, I segued naturally out of my corporate responsibilities, which had always been my plan. Yeah. And that's how the two collided, really. 
He's truly a remarkable human being, endlessly curious, endlessly brave. Worth the time to re-watch or watch for the first time Todd's documentaries, uh, Body Hack, Readers on My Brain. Mirror Mirror was also a recent one that he did, which was very, very good. If you want to hear more of this conversation, just scroll back through the Better Than Yesterday feed. You'll find Todd Sampson there. Um, there's also two really special episodes where Todd interviews me, which was a, a treat and um, I'm really grateful for. I'm back here on, uh, on Friday uh, to have a bit of a check-in and I hope you're doing okay. Until we speak then, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. 